You know, there is a tradition in certain African villages and, and Indian villages of what they do with a monkey that becomes a pest or a big nuisance. And what they'll do is they'll take a coconut, they'll hollow it out, then they'll cut it in half. Once they've hollowed it out, they'll, they'll put an orange in there or some sweet rice, something that has an odor to it. They'll also burrow a hole into the side of the coconut, and then they'll take metal rods and they'll clamp it back together and bolt it down. The coconut is then tied to a stake in the ground. Well, unbeknownst to the monkey, the monkey will come up, he'll smell that orange or that sweet rice, and he'll stick his hand into that coconut to grab that orange. The villagers are simply watching this, and after so long, they come up to the monkey, and he goes to pull his hand back out of the coconut, and he can't get his hand out. And the villagers just simply come up to him and place a net upon him, and most of the time, it leads to the monkey's destruction. Now, at any point in time, during this, the monkey just could just simply let go of that orange and just go about his business. But he just simply can't drop that orange. You know, you and I may find ourselves in a similar position where we've turned to culture instead of Christ. And for many of us, we'll hold on to the things of this world even as we risk our own spiritual death. If you have your Bibles with me this morning, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we'll start in verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, he said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Tradition tells us that 200 years ago, the tomb of the great conqueror Charlemagne was opened, and the sight that greeted the workmen there was rather shocking and startling. It seems that they found his body sitting in an upright position, clothed in his most elaborate clothes with a scepter in his bony hand, and on his knees laid the Holy Scripture. With a cold, lifeless finger pointing to this passage, what good does it gain a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 
See, it's sad today, but the church has embraced way too much of the world that's around us. We who are the believers, the example, depend on the world not just for our food and health, but for our entertainment, our fulfillment, and even our emotional needs. Winston Churchill said this. He said, we make a living not by what we get, but we make a life by what we give away. See, our service, our encouragement, our edification of one another. All of that runs off of this foundational truth that you and I are going to stay connected to God and allow God to empower us in the process. But if we allow sin to creep in, then we can't carry out God's will for our life because inevitably it always separates us from God. You see, self-centeredness in Christianity at its very roots stands opposed to one another. In other words, just to break it down, we need to let go of that orange. It's very difficult for God to bless a clenched fist. I genuinely believe today for us to become the best Christians that we are capable of becoming, that we have to be willing to lose those things the world's going to tell you over and over again to hold on to the very tightest. We must lose ourselves in our desire to find our lives. Jesus declares that he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life will keep it. This is the very definition of having an eternity perspective. That is to think of the concept that all the world has to offer pales in comparison to the riches of Jesus Christ. See, the way a child of God thinks should be radically different than the way the rest of the world thinks. You're going to do things that don't make sense. You're going to give up things that the world's going to tell you to hold on to. You're going to sacrifice so that others can be lifted up. You know, it doesn't make sense for a group of 40 or how many are coming today to give up a Sunday before you go back to work to go work at a group home. That doesn't make sense. I mean, it's your Sunday. You should use it and spend it however you see fit. But God's thought process is different. Where you and I are right now in our lives, in our struggles, in our cares, you see, it's all about losing to gain. Because the world's going to tell you over and over again, it's about you. It's about self. It's about how much you can acquire. It's about how many titles that you can gain along the way. It's about the possessions that you own. It's about what you can achieve. And what we end up playing in this life is a gigantic form of cosmic monopoly, and whoever has the most at the end wins. But that's not God's standard. God's standard is different. And God's standard is the only measurement that counts in this life. And it's simply this, have you dedicated yourself and your life to the will of Jesus Christ? If I were to say to you this morning while you're here that you must become a loser so that you can become a winner, 
Did you think that I had lost my senses? Some of you might be thinking, you have no idea, preacher. I've already lost so many battles in my life, and I think it's time for me to start winning a few. The thing is, this morning, God may be telling you you need to lose a few more. God's very desire for your life is to chisel away everything in your life that stands opposed to his will. And that includes pride, it includes disobedience, it includes selfishness and self-centeredness, it includes gossip. That can be a difficult one there. It includes those secret sins that you don't think anyone sees. It includes blasphemies. All of those have to go. But if we're being honest today, getting all those things chiseled out of your life well, that can be very painful. See, the essence of the gospel is all about loss. It's about the cross. It's about sacrifice. It's about the death of Jesus Christ. It's about you losing your life and gaining a new life in Jesus Christ. Turn with me now to Philippians chapter 3. And we'll start there in verse, well, let's start in verse 7. Here are the words of Paul, keeping, if you will, almost a spiritual ledger. He says this words, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, it's not about my will. It's not about what I desire. It's not about what I want to do. It's about what God has in store for me. If you were to ask me in my mid-20s when I was all about coaching and looking at being a high school football coach, if I could see the day coming down the road that I'd be working at a girls' group home surrounded each day with between 20 to 25 women, I probably would have laughed at you. I certainly wouldn't have seen that as being God's will for my life. But God sometimes asks us to go a different route. God often will ask us to give up our plans because his plans are often not our plans. I had this amusing little story come across my desk I'll share with you says there was a man who was having trouble with his leg. So he went to the doctor. The doctor told him that he had gout and he had to give up smoking and drinking. And the man said, why? Just so I can walk a little bit better? So we're a little bit like that man. When it comes time to give up anything, we're just not willing to do it, no matter what the But God wants us to know we can't become serious for him 
until we stop doing those things of the world which inevitably pull us away from him. So this morning, back to our original point, I'll start with my first point, it's this. You may have to let go of that army. For many of us, we may have to take a long, difficult look in the mirror. Take an honest look at what sin is doing in our lives. Take a look at that habit that separates us from God. See, we define righteousness as this. It's being in a right relationship with God. So what is it that's in your life that's keeping you from focusing on him? And folks, here's the good news. And I genuinely view this as the best kind of news. You you don't get to a certain age where you look back from Christianity and say, well, I had a good run. It's time for the younger generation to take over. I can retire now from Christianity. That doesn't happen. God continues to give you opportunities to serve. God continues to work on your life and to make you into the person he needs you to be to accomplish his will into the time that he calls you home. I want you to know this, too. Whatever that one thing right now that's in your life that's keeping you from God, it may be that thing that God asks you to give up. Look with me again in Scripture at Matthew chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. And the key there that I want you to pay attention to is the word at once. At once, they gave up what they were doing. At once, they left behind how they were providing for their families. At once, they gave up their identities, and they followed him immediately. You know, I look at that passage, and I ask myself the question, would I have left at once? See, there may be a hobby or passion that you have, something that just excites you. But we always have to be careful and ask the question, am I taking this hobby that I have to the extent that it's pulling me away from God? God may be calling you to give it up. I have a daughter that's up in Kentucky right now. She's playing college softball. She pitches for a team up in eastern Kentucky. And we played softball tournaments all the time. We, we, we loved doing that. It was a very father-daughter kind of thing. I coached a lot of her team. But, but we decided when we started this, and it was more coming from her even than me, that if there was ever a Sunday tournament that came, that we weren't going to be involved in it, that we were going to be in church, that we were going to give God that time And she's getting ready to go into ministry right now. 
and God's working on her in that direction. And I often think, what if she hadn't had that attitude when she was seven or eight years old that she was going to put Christ first and the church? Would she be in that position right now to be making those decisions to go into full-time ministry? I don't know what it is for you today. It could be a hobby. It could be an attitude. Ultimately, the question arises, do you want the kind of relationship that acknowledges the sacrifice he made for you? Do you have a servant's heart? Are you willing to put Jesus first? Some would prefer us to not think of those sacrifices because it makes us uncomfortable. Ephesians 5.2 puts it like this. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, when we're called into this life, we're called to have a ministry. Some have it in the church, some outside these walls, some both. But there's something that you have to understand. Jesus is going to demand sacrifice out of each and every one of us. That sacrifice is going to be to leave the world behind and all that it has to offer and instead cling to Jesus Christ. Folks, I will emphatically tell you this. A ministry that costs you nothing will accomplish nothing. Amen? That orange this morning, whatever it might be, that you're not willing to let go of, that is keeping you from becoming a true disciple of his, that orange that will keep you from focusing fully on what he wants for your life and what he wants you to do and to accomplish we have to be willing to let go of it for the sake of Christ. And that brings me up to my second point. And it's this. We need to start being dependent on Jesus, not just the world. One of man's biggest problems is the misconception that we can handle our own lives by ourselves. There was a sign seen in a textile mill. And the sign says this, when your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. A young woman was new on the job. Her thread became tangled, and she thought, I'll just straighten this out by myself. She tried, but the situation only worsened. Finally, she called the foreman over, and she said to him, I did the very best that I could. And he paused for a moment and looked at her and said, no, you didn't do the best that you could have done. That would have included you calling me first. When we often find our lives in a mess, it's then that we turn to God. In reality, if we can and stay, should stay focused to him, that many of these messes that we avoid, or many of these messes that we could create, could be avoided. I know the biggest messes I've found myself in personally in my life is in those times that I have determined that I'm going to do something without even consulting God on it first. You see, if we really want the best life that we can have for ourselves, if we really want the best life not only for ourselves but also for our families and those that we learn to take care of, then we have to be totally dependent on God for everything. 
But now here's the key to that. In order for that to work, we've got to humble ourselves daily before God. Because that type of relationship hinges on the fact that we admit that we are nothing without him. Because you see, if we don't keep an attitude of humility, then we can lose everything. James 4.10 echoes those very words. It says, humble yourselves before God, and he will lift you up. God has given us free will. We can choose to go it alone, the weight of our responsibilities on our back, carrying it by ourselves, or we can trust him, acknowledging that he knows best and that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Oh, church, what a friend we have in Jesus. There's no better place that we can put our lives than in the Creator's hands. You see, God's not interested in our meager skills, but he delights in our trust in him in everything that we do. Now, when we look at Scripture, I genuinely believe that we see all the people that followed Christ fell in three categories, maybe outside of Christ. The curious, the convinced, and the committed. Now, the disciples who left their boats, nets, and families were more than just curious, and they were past convinced. They were committed. So, let me list those three categories, and maybe you can determine what category it is that you fall in. The curious is this. They show up at church occasionally, but they don't get involved. They really don't hide. They don't figure out what ministry they can have. They're on the outside looking in. The convinced, on the other hand, they're faithful. They're in the church. They're somewhat involved. However, because they can't let go of one or two things that the world has to offer, they can't go into that deep relationship that God intends for them. And then, finally, only about 5%, or I should say really about 90 to 95% of all believers fit into those first two categories. And then there's the final 5%, those that are utterly committed. They have made the decision to follow Christ regardless of the cost. Regardless of the consequences, they're going to follow him. I remember a Stephen Curtis Chapman song where he wrote these words. He said, we will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all but for the sake of the call, fully devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. The true mark of a Christian, of a child of God, is a dependence on Christ allowing him to lead them no matter the direction. And I close with this last point tonight, uh, this morning. Stop trying to lead. You know, one of our favorite hymns is, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. In reality, we often have the attitude, Wherever I lead, Jesus will follow. We have just an inherited self-sense of importance. But the truth of the matter is that the only importance that we have is to be found in him. Oh, just imagine what we could accomplish in the church if we were to allow God fully to lead the body. 
the mission field would be full and this nation would be in submission to God. We'd be in a state of repentance. We've got to ask ourselves a difficult question. Am I truly willing to allow Christ to lead me? And if so, where might that lead us to? Well, ultimately, our lifestyles would have to change. Our attitudes would have to change. We'd have to forgive those who are in need of forgiveness or repent to eliminate them. We'd see greater involvement in the church and the community. But know that if you're willing to follow Christ, that he may lead you to give up the one thing in the world that you're holding on to, the Titus. If your finger's still in Matthew, flip over a few pages to Matthew 16. And we'll start there in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glories with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Christ needs people who are willing to follow him to the very ends of the earth. I would love to tell you you could do this casually, and it won't affect your fishing trips or football games or other hobbies. But that's simply not true. Because a real follower is going to make real commitments and make real sacrifices. But according to God's word this morning, you and I just read it. If you want to inherit the throne, then you have to be willing to give up the things of this world. We're going to be doing service here. You all will be this afternoon up at the children's home. And I'm so very grateful for that. You see... Each and every person here, God has called you to do just that. Maybe not necessarily go up to the children's home, but to serve in some function, to help, to edify. Maybe your job is to heal someone who is brokenhearted today. God has called each person here to serve in some way. But first, you have to become a loser lose the sins of this world and lose the heart that always wants to be in control. See, when you follow Jesus, you have to realize there's only one leader, and that's not you. He's either your leader or you need to question if he's in your life at all. We are to be ambassadors here on earth, but outside of him, we have no strength, no hope, no comfort, no peace, and no So I'll ask the first question I asked this morning. Are you willing to let go of that home?